What are the common myths and facts about fighting against COVID-19 that companies should be aware of? I'm Po Yi, a partner in Manat's advertising, marketing, and media practice. And this is Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. Joining me today is my partner, Jeff Edelstein, who is a prominent advertising lawyer with decades of experience dealing with false advertising issues, first at the Federal Trade Commission, then as Director of Broadcast Standards and Practices at ABC, and in private practice. I also have another special guest from Manat, Sandy Robinson, a managing director who co-leads the life science practice of Manat Health Strategies, the healthcare consultancy division of Manat. In this role, Sandy leverages her 30 years of expertise to advise clients on holistic market access strategies that support patient care and access to new technology. Jeff and Sandy, it's great to have you as my guest today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting us. Thank you, Poe. Looking forward to it. More than a year after the COVID-19 pandemic forced a global lockdown, COVID-19 continues to dominate the news and our lives in a way that was unthinkable prior to March 2020. Today, we know a lot more about COVID-19 and the novel coronavirus that causes the disease. We have multiple vaccines with proven efficacy and even have several options for treating those who contract the disease. But we have not yet emerged from the shadow of COVID-19. Not surprisingly, there's still a lot of confusion about the disease, what causes it, what prevents it, and the safety and efficacy of the vaccines developed to fight it. Let's first talk about the myths relating to COVID-19 and how certain companies have been exploiting public fears about the disease. Jeff, you've been following the FTC's crackdown of various false claims that have proliferated in the marketplace for the past year. In fact, you've talked about them in two prior episodes of this podcast. Tell us about the latest FTC action on this. Yes, the FTC and the Department of Justice have filed the first case under the COVID-19 Consumer Protection Act, a law passed by Congress in December 2020 that imposes financial penalties on violators. The action alleges that a Missouri chiropractor, Eric Napute, and his company, QuickWork, violated both the new law and the FTC Act by deceptively marketing vitamin D and zinc products as scientifically proven to treat or prevent COVID-19. The complaint alleges that despite receiving a warning letter from the FTC in May 2020, they deceptively marketed vitamin D and zinc products under the Wellness Warrior brand for the treatment, prevention, and cure of COVID-19. According to the complaint, they falsely claimed that their products provide equal or better protection against COVID-19 than currently available COVID-19 vaccines. For example, the complaint alleges that the videos claimed that, quote, COVID-19 patients who get enough vitamin D are 52% less likely to die, close quote, and that people who get enough vitamin D3 have a, quote, 77% less chance of getting infected in the first place, close quote. The action seeks preliminary and permanent injunctive relief, the refund of monies paid, restitution, the disgorgement of ill-gotten gains, civil penalties and costs. With respect to civil penalties, the complaint alleges that each dissemination of an allegedly deceptive ad constitutes a separate violation for purposes of calculating monetary penalties, and that the court is authorized to award penalties of up to $43,792 for each such violation. Well, that's pretty steep. What is the COVID-19 Consumer Protection Act, and how is it different from the existing laws? The COVID-19 Consumer Protection Act 
provides that for the duration of the coronavirus public health crisis, it's unlawful under Section 5 of the FTC Act to engage in a deceptive act or practice that is associated with the treatment, cure, prevention, or mitigation, or diagnosis of COVID-19, or a government benefit related to COVID-19. Congress mandated that a violation of the law shall be treated as a violation of an FTC trade regulation rule, which means that violations can result in monetary penalties. Ordinarily, the FTC is only authorized to seek sole penalties for violating a prior court or commission order, a cease and desist order, or a trade regulation rule. But with the authority granted by the COVID-19 Consumer Protection Act, the FTC can identify practices related to COVID-19, treatment, cure, prevention, mitigation, diagnosis, or government benefit that the FTC considers deceptive under Section 5 of the FTC Act and seek civil penalties for each violation which can amount to a great deal of money. Well, in addition to the recent action, what other types of false claims relating to COVID-19 has the FTC been going after? The FTC has just issued a report highlighting the agency's ongoing efforts to protect consumers during the COVID-19 pandemic. The report discusses challenges consumers face during the pandemic and details the commission's strategy to combat COVID-related fraud and other consumer issues using sophisticated targeting, aggressive law enforcement, and ongoing partnership and outreach. The report lists a number of actions the FTC has taken to protect consumers during the pandemic. These include filing 13 enforcement actions against companies that failed to deliver personal protective equipment or made deceptive health or earnings claims, including the first action under the new COVID-19 Consumer Protection Act, which I just discussed, directing more than 350 companies to remove deceptive claims related to COVID-19 treatments, potential earnings, financial relief for small business and students, and warning companies that it is illegal to assist and facilitate deceptive COVID-19 calls. The FTC has collected and tracked more than 436,000 reports associated with COVID-19 between January 2020 and April 2021, in which consumers reported $399 million in fraud losses And the FTC has issued more than 100 consumer and business alerts on COVID-19 related topics. So the FTC has been very active in the COVID-19 area. Yeah, they certainly have. Sandy, the companies that you work with are involved in developing products that actually work and can be marketed in ways that the products that Jeff just discussed cannot. Could you tell us about the products and claims that your clients can make based on scientific evidence that have been vetted by the authorities? Well, in the U.S., The Food and Drug Administration, or the FDA, is the regulatory body that ensures that drugs and biologics, and that includes vaccines, are safe and effective before they receive approval for marketing. So typically, manufacturers will submit a new drug application or an NDA or a BLA, which is a biologics license application, and that contains clinical trial data that demonstrates that the drug or biologic is safe and effective for use. And then the FDA makes a decision that hopefully results in FDA approval for marketing. During the pandemic, we have a new term, which is Emergency Use Authorization Authority or EUA. And what that does, it allows the FDA to facilitate the availability and use of certain drugs and biologics that are needed during this public health emergency, public health crisis that we're in the midst of. To date, 
There's one COVID-19 treatment, which is Regeneron's monoclonal antibody. And there's three COVID-19 vaccines, Pfizer, Moderna, and J&J, that have received EUA approval. So they've gone through that pathway. There's one drug, Gilead's Vecleri or Remdesivir, which has received FDA approval for treatment of COVID-19. The Office of Prescription Drug Promotion or OPDP within the FDA helps to ensure that prescription drug promotion is truthful, balanced, and accurately communicated. That office does it through surveillance, compliance, education program, and really the goal is to foster better communication of labeling and promotional information to both the healthcare provider and the consumer segments. What is the difference between a product receiving FDA approval or approval under the emergency use authorization? Is one more rigorous than the other and considered better from a safety perspective? Well, the difference is that the EUA authority is new because of the public health emergency. Um, Manat just did a vaccine myth buster and we addressed this issue about safety. The seriousness of COVID-19 dictated the need to develop new vaccines at this really accelerated pace. And under a public-private partnership with the federal government, vaccine developers began the second and the third phases of their COVID-19 vaccine trials simultaneously. They also began manufacturing preparation in tandem with the trials. So all in, the COVID-19 vaccine trials contain 111,000 people across the three manufacturers. And their clinical trials were completed with the rigor that's needed to meet the FDA requirements for approval. And that's why they received the emergency use authorization. What's interesting is that on April 16th, Eli Lilly and company requested the FDA revoke the EUA for its monoclonal antibody when used alone. Because we have these evolving COVID-19 variants, and Lilly's product in combination with Amgen's monoclonal antibody has been shown to neutralize more of these emerging COVID-19 variants in the US than using the product alone. So they actually proactively went to get that revoked for monotherapy and are requesting the EUA for the combination product. Is that a highly unusual request from a drug maker? Well, we're living in a highly unusual time during this public health emergency, and the landscape is evolving you know, every day. And since the use of the combination of the two monoclonal antibodies together is more effective for the variants than the one product alone, I think this was really responsible on the part of Lilly. It also signals that the two products used in combination will have a better clinical outcome. Certainly a big contrast to the companies that Jeff was talking about earlier, uh, where the FTC went after them. How do companies with legitimate products that have FDA approval combat misinformation and disinformation that are out there about COVID-19 and what can be done? I think education is the key. And truth in advertising, you know, which we've heard about today from Jeff, you know, for drugs and vaccines, any product claims are subject to scrutiny by the FDA. 
And the vaccine manufacturers are being, I think, overly cautious. You know, this is why we saw J&J recently pause administration with their vaccine while they're looking at some blood clot events, and those are being researched. So it's really about education and truth in advertising. Well, Sandy and Jeff, thank you for this very informative discussion. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to ask each of you to provide a practice tip for companies developing or marketing products or services relating to COVID-19. Let's start with you, Jeff. Sure. The filing of the FUC complaint under the new COVID-19 Consumer Protection Act shows the seriousness with which the FTC will respond to allegedly false or unsubstantiated COVID-19 claims. All companies that make COVID-19 claims for their products, and especially companies that have received one of the 350-plus warning letters the FTC staff has sent, should be aware that the FTC continues to monitor the marketplace very closely. And Sandy? You know, it's standard for manufacturers of drugs and biologics to have their materials reviewed, their promotional materials reviewed by the FDA OPDP in advance of launch to avoid any issues. So the best practice would be do that for manufacturers. Thank you for joining us once again on Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. As we discussed in today's episode, even though we've been living with COVID-19 for over a year, there is still a lot of mystery surrounding the disease. And some companies have used this to further their marketing efforts. For more coverage on FTC actions relating to COVID-19 claims and to see Manat's vaccine MythBuster infographic, visit the related resources listed in this episode's caption. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. The views expressed on the podcast reflect the personal views and opinions of the participants and are not intended to constitute legal advice or counsel under any circumstance. Downloading and listening to this recording do not result in the formation of an attorney-client or other business relationship. You should not act on any information in the podcast without seeking the advice of a competent attorney licensed to practice in your jurisdiction.